0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: Prince Charles Philip Arthur George is now,
0: by the death of our late sovereign Charles III, by the grace of God of the United Kingdom, Canada and its other realms and territories, King, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the faith, to whom we acknowledge faith and allegiance. So today, King Charles proclaimed to be the official head of state, the official monarch of Canada. That voice was the chief herald of Canada, Dr. Sami Khalid, reading the official proclamation. Hello, Canada. Rob Breckenridge in for Roy Green this weekend. For all intents and purposes, the moment Queen Elizabeth II died this week, Charles as king was a legal reality. But why? And how do we know that? What changes now occur automatically? What changes still need to be made? Why does all of this matter? What is it that the crown represents? It is at the core of Canada as a country. Of course, the monarch is our head of state. It embodies so much more that runs throughout uh, our, our system of government. So joining us to talk about all of this, uh, right out of the gate here today, very pleased to welcome to the program one of Canada's preeminent scholars uh, on these matters, uh, Philip Lagasse is Barton Chair, Associate Professor of International Affairs of the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Professor Lagasse, like great to have you with us here today. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, So first of all, that question about the legal reality of uh, Charles as our monarch, these uh, ceremonies happening today and the official coronation that will still happen. Are are these largely ceremonial then?
1: Uh, They are largely ceremonial, but they they carry quite a bit of weight, as you might imagine, given that this is a, a very ceremonial institution. What we're seeing here is uh, a tradition that really dates back to the Anglo-Saxon time, when there there was uh, the election uh, of a monarch under the Wiccan. But that uh, that tradition was held in place when, during the medieval era, as you mentioned in the introduction. Um, we put in place the idea that the crown automatically transferred to the next in line. So we're really Mm -hmm. seeing the the interaction between two very different uh, traditions in terms of how you select a monarch, but both very deeply steeped in our history.
0: If we have those odd circumstances where, you know, at the last minute Charles decides maybe he's, he's got cold feet, maybe he doesn't want to be the king, maybe he'd rather pass it on to his son, or some unusual circumstances, uh, how would that change things? Because otherwise, I, I think as you played out then, it, it was pretty automatic. The moment the queen passed away, Charles became the king. That's right.
1: So if he suddenly decided that he had to abdicate, uh, he does have the option of doing a personal abdication. Uh, and then that effectively what that does is uh, it triggers a demise of the crown, which is the official name for when a monarch passes. So when the queen passed, um, in terms of the crown, it was a demise of the crown. So when a monarch abdicates, either through uh, government order and council, as happened with Edward VIII, or if it were a personal abdication on the part of uh, Charles, that would trigger the same legal concept. So there would be a demise of the crown and automatically his son would then become
0: king. Of course, that, that didn't happen. Charles uh, is indeed uh, the king of Canada. But there's also that question of whether Canada follows the same rules of succession as Britain. The king of Canada is the king of, the, of, of England, obviously. But th- there was some uncertainty in recent years about those rules of succession. Would it automatically follow uh, that we would have the same rules of succession as Britain? So how, how did that all get sorted out?
1: So in 2011, the the United Kingdom decided that they wanted to modernize their laws of royal succession. They wanted to end male preference primogeniture, which just means primogeniture is firstborn. So they wanted to make it such that it was either male or female. Uh, So they wanted to liberalize the succession laws, and they also wanted to uh, loosen some of the rules around who can marry Catholics and so forth. So there was a meeting in 2011 and Canada was a bit reticent because there was some concern, right, in terms of our constitutional amending formula. What the, what would that mean? Uh, ultimately, uh, Australia passed its own law. New Zealand passed its own law. But Canada, uh, out of, uh, I would argue, a desire to avoid the constitutional amending formula, put forward a different position such that we automatically take uh, the monarch of the United Kingdom as our own monarch. Um, and that was ultimately upheld in the courts, even though, as a number of us have pointed out, it's actually inconsistent with what Canada did in 1936 during the abdication of Edward VIII.
0: Right. So and that, that, that essentially cleared the air. There would never be, at least under these circumstances, a situation where Canada sees succession differently than, than Britain does.
1: Right. It, it, but it does open a bit of an odd question, namely, if we argue that we simply take the British monarch as our own, what happens if there's no British monarch? Uh, So there is a bit of a, we're taking a bit of a gamble here, I would argue, in terms of uh, (laughs) assuming that our head of state is always going to be clearly defined. But, you know, things could happen in the United Kingdom, and that puts us in a bit of an awkward spot uh, in the unlikely event that they become a republic.
0: Okay, so King Charles III is Canada's head of state. As monarch, the person Charles embodies the powers that exist in the crown. So the crown itself as, as an entity is, is where this power rests, that power, I guess, manifests through this individual. What, what is it that the crown represents?
1: So we use the crown as our concept of the state, Right, so in uh, civil law jurisdictions, you actually have something called the state, uh, but we do not have that in Canada. We have the Crown and other common law and jurisdictions that have the Crown as the realm, uh, or who are realms of the Crown. They are uh, they use the Crown as the state. So what that means is the authority of our state resides in in this idea of the Crown, and it does it ex- exercises that power in different capacities. So the Crown and in, in its council. Uh, exercises executive power, the crown in parliament exercises uh, legislative power, and the crown in courts uh, is the judicial power. And what is that crown? That crown, strangely enough, is a corporation, uh, which means that it's an office. Uh, so it's an office made up of uh, a legal personality and uh, a, a, an office holder with a natural So what we mean by that, as you pointed out, Charles, as a natural person, is occupying the office of the crown and exercises the powers and functions of that legal personality. So our state, odd as it may seem, is a
0: corporation. And that really permeates through our, our entire system, doesn't it?
1: It does. So, for instance, when you go to sign a contract with the federal government or even provincial government, and you'll notice, well, that's Autumn signing with Her Majesty in Right of Canada. And who are you signing with? You're signing with this legal personality. Uh, similarly, when we say, you know, the Crown in Right of Canada owns land, well, whose land is, is that? That's the legal personality's land. So you can understand why it kind of stayed in place, because it's a very convenient way of kind of organizing things. It's a a fake person who never dies, (laughs) who is able to own property, employ people and do all sorts of things. Uh, But it's perpetual. So it solves a lot of these uh, problems that existed in the past when uh, a monarch died.
0: So we have all of these laws that reference the queen, all of these contracts and and agreements with her majesty. Does that then entail us having to go and and rewrite all of that? Or does essentially then our our system recognize the crown as the entity and and whether it's Queen Elizabeth or or King Charles, is is that essentially a moot point?
1: It is a moot point, and that's exactly why, uh, over time, we created the idea of a crown as a corporation sole, So, a corporation consisting of one person. The the idea here was exactly for that, that there would be no doubt that the contracts that were signed, the property that was owned, was with the same legal person. So, as you'll notice, for instance, when uh, there are articles being published these days about who owns what with respect to the crown, there are certain things that belong to the crown in its official legal capacity, such as Buckingham Palace, the Crown Estate, and other things like that, and then other things that uh, Charles inherited from his mother, such as Balmoral, Vanillium, and these other things. So even there, we see a distinction between the things that belong to the crown in an official legal capacity and the things that uh, Charles inherits from his mother as in a natural capacity.
0: Now, there are some changes that that are being made and I guess do need to deliberately be made in, in some provinces. For example, Court of Queen's Bench becomes Court of King's Bench. Uh, for lawyers, Queen's Council will, I guess, become King's Council. Even in politics, we'll have to get used to saying His Majesty's loyal opposition. So so there are those sorts of, of changes that do need to be made.
1: Right. So we're, what we're doing is updating uh the, the names and titles of, of institutions to reflect the fact that there's a new natural person. But legally speaking, it's still the same. So the fact that we're making those changes and the fact that those changes are so seamless and easy to make is a reflection of the fact that at common law, the person we're referring to is still ultimately that legal, fake office, well, fake, I should say fictional is the better word.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh- it, it, it does raise an interesting question because I, I do think you know that that the affinity that existed for the queen that maybe does not exist to the same extent for her son uh and, and maybe that prompts a conversation about whether this all still makes sense for Canada whether this is what we still want and and I, I know you're maybe more more neutral and tend to be neutral on that question but the, the it has come up before would it be easy and I think you alluded to maybe the easy route to that would be for the United Kingdom to make the decision on our behalf because otherwise this is so entwined in our system of government, our constitution, that would be a tall order, to put it mildly, wouldn't
1: it? It certainly would in Canada. So when we patriated our constitution in 1982, uh, we managed to, to put the monarchy in the most difficult constitutional amending formula. So it is the unanimous agreement of all the provincial legislatures and the federal parliament. And we can only imagine as well that indigenous peoples who have a direct relationship with the crown would also demand to have their say reflected in any choice that we make. So you can only imagine the enormity of of trying to make that happen. And even if we want to become a republic, as we saw in Australia in the 1990s, when they held the referendum, we also have to agree on the alternative. And that's no certainty right. either. So uh, if you really are diehard Republican in Canada and you really want to get rid of the monarchy, the best thing you should do is move to the United Kingdom and start a Republican campaign there, because if they did it, it would force us to come to grips with our own monarchy. And I suspect that's really the, the only way for it to
0: happen. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites.